Welcome, everyone, to the Tuesday edition of the Markets and Mortgages podcast. I am your host, Tyler Crawley. We are going to be starting by talking about the coronavirus. Well, not the virus itself, but the fact that the virus, what are we, almost two years into this thing, is still potentially a concern for the housing market. And so where are the areas where this concern still exists? Well, there's a new report from Adam Data Solutions for the third quarter here in 2021, and they say it is up north, which is interesting. One of the places that has seen the least amount of growth with regards to home prices and, of course, rents. And they are kind of making up for it now. We are seeing some big jumps in some of those areas as people move back to major cities like Boston and New York and D.C. and some other places, but still at risk. And in fact, the three major states that were listed in this report were New Jersey, Delaware, and Illinois. Those three states had 26 of the 50 counties most exposed to potential housing-related impacts of the pandemic. Now, the areas at the highest risk included the Chicago metropolitan area. Eight counties were at risk, six near New York City, and three in the Philadelphia suburbs. Now, on the other side of that spectrum... You have the South and the West who have the least amount of places that are at risk of problems caused by the coronavirus, which makes sense because where do people move from? They move from up north and they move to the South and the West. And so it makes sense that if there was another problem with the pandemic, that the areas where everyone was flocking to in mass, you're going to see that happen again. And so 33 of the 50 counties least vulnerable to pandemic-related problems were in the South and the Midwest. The areas at least risk include Kansas City with three counties, followed by Denver, Minneapolis, Nashville, and Richmond all had two counties as well. And as of note, I should say, or I should note, that North Carolina, a place that I call home, two counties were in the top 50. That was Mecklenburg and Wake County. Not surprising anyone that's seen what's happening with housing in that area. (laughs) You would know that that makes a lot of sense. Todd Tedda, the chief product officer with Adam, said in a statement that even though we are getting back to normal, there is still a risk here. Saying, quote, there's growing reason to think the coronavirus pandemic may finally be heading into the history books as case numbers have dropped significantly in the past month or so. But... It still poses a significant threat to the economy with some housing markets in pockets of the country remaining at higher risk than others. And it should be noted, I saw a stat that said, I think it's 1,500 people a day are still dying in the United States from the coronavirus. So that number has dropped, but that's still 1,500. I mean, you extrapolate that over a year. I mean, you're talking about close to half a million deaths. So it's, um, it's, not in the headlines anymore, but 1,500 people a day are still dying from this thing. And so it's it's far from over. It's getting better, but it is far from over. And I think it's, it's important to remember that. Now, I'll tell you, one of the things I used to do when I was on the radio, and I was following the news as, you know, all the news, not just housing news, is I would try and find connectors in stories and, and try and figure out what people are talking about. Sometimes it's easy you know, the whole recent Brian Laundry, you know, manhunt, the uh, Murdoch's down in South Carolina, craziness happening in D.C. That's easy, right? You see the headline of every paper. But when the news gets slow, you got to try and say, you know, find stories that connect. And interestingly enough, I saw two stories that were talking 
about the same thing, and that was single-person household. Julia Carpenter at the Wall Street Journal wrote over the weekend that even though the number of one-person households in the United States has doubled in the last 40 years, there are now fewer options for those households, interestingly enough. So in 1980, there were 18.2 million sole-person households. In 2020, that number was 36.1 million. Now, of that group, which group do you think would be the biggest number? No, you are wrong. It is the baby boomers at 39%. I bet you thought it might be millennials. Well, they're at 19% along with Gen X. Well, baby boomers make sense because, you know, divorces, death. Um, and so that's why that number is larger for that population. But the supply of entry-level housing is at a five-decade low, which we've talked about before. And that means bidding wars on properties with some young people being cut out of the wealth growth that homeownership can bring. At the same time, older Americans hoping to downsize are now often stuck in their homes longer, adding to the broader supply shortage. I mean, yeah, home builders aren't building entry-level homes. Now, entry-level homes, I believe Freddie Mac defines them as about 1,400 square feet. And right now they're building bigger homes. I mean, that, that's one of the realities of, you know, housing. People talk about, you know, housing being so much more expensive than it was 30, 40 years ago. And that's true, but it's not just inflation. It's not just the fact that the dollar is worth less or, or that the real estate market is, is an asset bubble or whatever it may be. There's also a lot of legitimate factors for why housing prices have gone up. I mean, one, you're seeing more luxury in houses, technology, things that, Back in the day where you'd see only in mansions, you're now finding in middle-level homes. But here's the other factor. Homes are bigger today than they were 30, 40 years ago. And so that's why you're, you look at a per square footage calculation, it's not as big of a price difference as you would think compared to, say, other products. And so that's one of the big factors is that when are we going to start building these smaller homes? I'm a man that believes in markets. And so if the market starts demanding it, I think you will see builders respond. And I just don't know. I don't know if the markets are calling for it, but it is kind of a weird thing that you are seeing sole person households grow and there's now fewer options for those households. And speaking of sole person households, it wasn't just Julia Carpenter writing about this. Joe Pinsker over at The Atlantic, wrote pretty much not the exact same thing, but did point out that, listen, the growth of single-person households is, like I said, it's growing, but at the same time, you're not seeing any real change in society. In fact, Pinsker writes, quote, these people are still living in a society that is tilted against them, both financially and socially. So we talked about housing. And socially, I mean, I should say financially, there's also another big problem, and that is it's more expensive. When you live by yourself, not only is your housing cost now not, you know, your bills aren't being split. So everything costs the full amount. <laughs> and so one recent study found that for a couple living separately is 28% more expensive than living together. I mean, that's, that's big when you're talking about housing costs and some of the big costs that go along to living when it comes to say food and housing. I mean, cars probably won't change that much. 28%, that's a lot of coin. That's a lot of money. But there's also a social component. For example, Pinsker writes, recipes are rarely written for a single di- for a single diner. And they heard from single people who've had trouble booking restaurant reservations for one. 
These are all regular reminders that American society still assumes that the default adult has a partner and the default household contains multiple people. And they go on to talk about, you know, people feeling pity for people who are single because you're supposed to be coupled up. And so if you're single, you must be a loser. You must be sad all the time and kind of all these stereotypes. And so it was very fascinating that he did these two pieces, one in the Atlantic and one in the Wall Street Journal, both talking about being a single person in modern society. And what's weird is the growth of that group to now doubling in size from 1980 and the impact it's having both financially with looking at housing and the zero impact it's had on social aspects <laughs> where you haven't really seen that big of a change. All right, before we run out of time, loans and forbearance. We always get that data on Monday, 33 of the last 34 weeks. That number has dropped and I should say it was 32. Now it's 33 of the last 34 weeks. That number has now fallen and the total number of loans now in forbearance decreased seven basis points week to week to 2.21%, which now means the Mortgage Bankers Association is estimating only 1.1 million homeowners are now in forbearance plans. 1.1 million. Mike Frantantoni, the Senior Vice President of the Mortgage Bankers Association and Chief Economist, said exits tend to slow in the middle of the month. And so we saw two big numbers the last two weeks and it kind of slowed in the middle of the month, but that is typical. Frank Antoni said, following two weeks of rapid declines, the share of loans in forbearance dropped again, but at a reduced rate. As reported in the past, many servicers uh, process forbearance exit at the beginning of the month. Therefore, it is not surprising to see the pace of exit slow again mid-month, but it's not a sign necessarily that maybe we're going to start seeing an end to people leaving these forbearance plans. And we got more good news on that front. Last week, Black Knight reported that September saw a dip in foreclosure starts after a sharp rise in August. Remember that? Black Knight reported last month that we saw a big jump after the foreclosure moratorium ended. And that led to this big jump in foreclosures. And everyone, here we go. Finally, all the crash bros out there who were telling us that the housing market was going to crash. It was finally coming to fruition. They were right all along. And, uh, no, they weren't. Actually, that's not the case. September's 3,900 foreclosure starts were the third lowest monthly total on record. And within 6% of the record low set back in April of this year, the number of active foreclosures fell in September as well, hitting another all-time low. Ah, they were so close to getting that foreclosure wave. It's going to happen one day for them. <laughs> I saw a great quote the other day on Twitter. Someone was talking about Michael Burry and how he's kind of a doomsdayer. And they said, Michael Burry has successfully called two of the last 12, or he's called 12 of the last two recessions. That, that was the quote. He successfully called 12 of the last two recessions. Because <laughs> it's like these people are always convinced it's like I, I always the example I always give is like the J-Lo pregnancy uh, or Jennifer Aniston pregnancy. It's like you eventually just keep saying it and eventually it's going to happen. And you're like, see, I knew it. It's like, yeah, you said that five years ago. She wasn't pregnant for five years. Doofus. <laughs> so it's like they're like five years from now when we see housing prices fall, they're going to be like, see, I told you. I told you it's going to happen. Yeah. Five years ago for completely different reasons is why you were saying that. So yeah, no, no foreclosure wave. Sorry to, sorry to break the good news to you. 
Sorry to do that. All right, we got a crazy busy day. Man, our show, our show is going to be like 30 minutes tomorrow, just to give you a heads up. So at 9 a.m., we got Case Schiller and the FHFA home price index coming out. So a lot to get to. And I don't know, are we going to, I think the, the forecasts are for another record month, but we've heard that maybe this could be the first month where we see a little bit of a decline. Price is still up, but just not where they were. So we will find out tomorrow at 9 a.m. Then at 10 a.m., we got new residential sales and consumer confidence. So, I mean, we got a lot of data to get to tomorrow. So prepare yourself for the deluge of data that you are going to be experiencing today or tomorrow as you listen to this podcast in the morning. But we got to go. You guys enjoy your Tuesday, and I'll be back here Wednesday morning for another edition another markets and mortgages podcast and as always do not wait to buy real estate you buy real estate and wait